God's so good. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 8. We're going to continue to take a look at uh, what, the, what the Word has for us. Listen, if you remember, back in Acts chapter 6, there was trouble in the church. I know that's hard for many of us to imagine that there could ever be problems in a church, but there was problems. There were widows who weren't getting what they needed for food when the food was passed out. So the apostles had the, the people choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit. The first man's name was Stephen. What we read about Stephen is Stephen, not only did he take the, the job of feeding the widows, but as God opened opportunity, you see his willingness to be a servant or to serve the Lord led him to opportunities where he could then be able to do even greater things. All of a sudden, we see Stephen preaching, people getting saved. The next thing you know, he's doing miracles. He's, he's doing all these incredible things that we see in the pages of Scripture. It's exciting to see how God moves through Stephen. And then we see Stephen being accused, and he, and he gives his defense. We studied it in chapter 7. It took several weeks to take a look at it. But his purpose, his point between it all, as he was sharing with those who were ready to kill him, he was telling them that they are resisting the Holy Spirit. Chapter 7, we have several examples of people who resist the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8, we have examples of people responding to the Holy Spirit. So we have one of two responses that we can give whenever the Spirit calls, as the Spirit woos, when the Spirit directs. We can either resist and say, no, but that's just me, that's me speaking to myself, it's my own ideas, or we can respond and, and get up and see, man, was this God, is this the Lord directing me and guiding me? Stephen, we see, is a man who is willing to respond to the Holy Spirit, and it cost him everything. One of the things we have to realize when we look and as we study is that if you're going to respond to the Holy Spirit, it will cost you something. There are no free pass. If somebody sold you on a free pass, it doesn't exist. There's cost. Jesus said, count the cost. There's things that happen. Persecution that's going to come. You think that this position works out okay right now. Hang on to your hats because our country is about to go places it has never been before. The dismissal of the, the man who was going to give the invocation at uh, the, the inauguration of the president because 20 years ago he taught a message against homosexuality. That's not somebody else's country. That's yours. That, that world is only going to continue to spin. It's not going to change. I don't know if you've read the end of the book, but the end of the book, the way that I interpret scripture, we're going to see worse and worse wars and rumors of wars, crazy things coming on and the the stance that the nation at one time had had as a as a nation desiring to uh honor the lord and the things that they did those, those days are gone that's not who we are anymore and as a result there are things that that freedoms that we've experienced that will eventually go away you can watch it on the news <laughs> they talk about it all the time well, as we look at that, we understand in this time, does that mean we don't, what's our job now? And some people, maybe we think our job is to, to, you know, become doomsdayers and we're just going to uh, pile up food and prepare. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being prepared, but what is our job? Biblically, what is our job? You search the scriptures and show it to me. I see 
Go into all the world, make disciples of all men. Until I come, we are to do. Until the Lord returns. But if we're going to respond to that, it's going to cost us. David, when he first went to the, to the area where the temple is going to be built, and the plague that was upon the children of Israel is stopped, and David says, I'm going to build a, 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 an altar here and give a, a sacrifice the man that was with him, he said, you know what, I'll give it to you. You can have the land, you can have the wood, you can have the ox, it's all yours. Just go sacrifice. He was excited about what God had done. And David said, no. He said, I will not give God something that costs me nothing. As we look at our responding to the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you, look in your life. Look at the areas of ministry where you're involved. Look at the cost. Is there a cost associated? Or isn't there? Are you only giving God what's easy to give? Or will you give unto the Lord those things that are even difficult? Those things that don't even make sense. As we'll see this morning as we look in Acts chapter 8. We want to be those who are responding. We want to respond. Remember Philip responded. The Spirit moved. He went to Samaria. And in Samaria, what did we discover? We discover a group of people that nobody cared about, but God cared about them. We know that Jesus on his own went there in John chapter 4 to meet a woman who nobody cared about, who was going to be at a well that day all by herself, so that he could introduce her to the Messiah. Jesus cares. And he sends Philip. Philip. Philip, the second guy on the list. Stephen, the first guy. Philip, the second guy. He was also given the job, the diaconos, the willingness to serve and feed the widows. Make sure the widows had the proper food. But all of a sudden we see him as an evangelist. He's going around. Why? Because as he chose to serve, God gave him greater and greater opportunities. Without service, we won't grow. We'll stay right where we are. I know I did it for years. I went to, I, I probably spent most of my life in church at one time or another and, and just did church. And as soon as Kathy and I made the decision that we were going to start to get involved and start to do things in couples ministry and in different things, the Lord would lay on our heart, children's ministry at one time. As we did those things, all, amazing things started to happen. We started to grow. We started to learn things we had never learned while we sat in the pew. I don't know why we didn't learn it then, but I learned it when I had to teach it. When I had to try to figure out how to get a three-year-old to understand a concept, suddenly I was learning, suddenly I was growing, and, and everything changed. Just like in Stephen's life when he chose to serve. Just like in Philip's life when he chose to serve. When we choose to serve, growth happens. I mean, we grow personally. We grow in the Lord. We grow in our understanding. But that service it cost us something. So Stephen goes down to Samaria and, man, a revival breaks out. You guys remember last week? I mean, it's crazy. People are receiving the Lord. They're lining up. They're, they're coming from everywhere. Even a, a crazy pagan guy, the devil tries to infiltrate, you know, with a fake believer. A make-believer trying to get in with the real believers. But, but uh, Peter, when he comes down to pray for the baptism of the Spirit over the church, he recognizes Simon and he calls him out. But you know when he calls him out, you remember what he says? When he calls him out, he says, repent. Repent. Change. Change the team you're playing for. Change the attitude that you have. Change 
who you are because Jesus Christ came to make all things new. We are not the same creation before Christ that we are after Christ. And so, he has this incredible time. And today, in the, the second part of, of Acts chapter 8, we're going to see the Spirit of God continue to move Philip. Let's take a look. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, he was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and asked... Do you understand what you are reading? So he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? So Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus unto him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, Father, our desire as your people is to respond when your spirit is moving, to answer the call when you are directing us. Lord, I pray that that would be our desire. Lord, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart willing to receive and understand that which your word lays out for us. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we see in the beginning of this, Philip, with yet another opportunity. Now, when we look at this opportunity from a human standpoint, I want you to see and consider some things. You have Philip, who's in the midst of a great revival. People coming to the Lord. If you will, church is growing like crazy. People are coming, wanting to learn. He's, he's going around teaching. Incredible things are happening. Healings are happening. The Spirit of God is moving. The Holy Spirit came upon the church. We have all this stuff going on there in Samaria. And all of a sudden, he gets a word from God. The Bible says the word of the Lord came through an angel and spoke to him. You remember? Scripture lays it out for us as we look in uh, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. He said, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. God has a call for him. He says, in essence, to Philip, who's in the midst of this thriving ministry, I want you to go south on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza 
down to the middle of the desert. That's the whole word. Now, from a human standpoint, we might think, man, that doesn't make any sense. Why in the world would you want to leave a thriving ministry that's going so well just to go down into the middle of the desert? You don't even know what you're going to do down there. You don't know what's happening. You know what's going on. All he knows is that the, 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 uh, an angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, God wants you to go down this road to the desert. Walk down there. Head that direction. By a human standpoint doesn't make all that much sense and so we can come to a point where we decide we want to resist the holy spirit i mean there's a great ministry going on there's things happening right where you're at there's all this stuff why would i want to take on something else or be involved in some other thing that god has laid on my heart why would i want to do that i mean it just is going to cramp my style it's going to get in the way it's going to it's going to rob from me time remember the idea the concept that serving god costs us something And so, there is the voice of God calling. And there have been times where my voice has responded. That doesn't fit into my schedule. That doesn't fit in my time. My my wife will say every once in a while, don't you have like a study or something going on every night of the week? And I'll say, yeah. Because that's what God's calling me to do. People have got to get equipped. People have got to learn. People have got to grow. People have got to go out. Our goal is not to sit in here. Our goal is out there. The lost world. People every day perishing. And our desire to be able to witness, to be able to share, to be able to see the world affected with change. Every once in a while, God's going to call us to something. And it's just going to be a hassle any way you look at it. And I love to tell you that the hassle that God calls you to is just all going to be solved before you go. That's how you know it's God. But by the way, that's not scriptural. God never promises to remove every hassle. He promises to give you the strength to overcome every hassle. He doesn't say he'll take them all away. Years ago, before anybody around here knew anything... A pastor in Yucca Valley made an announcement on a Sunday, and he said a friend of his, a pastor in Idaho named Brent, was sick, had cancer. And he was asking for the church to pray for him. And so we prayed. We prayed for Brent continually the whole time he was sick at Joshua Springs. But I had this little nagging voice in my head that would not go away that said, you're going to Idaho. So I kind of shirked it yeah we'll see we prayed and and as, as the lord saw fit he brought brent home and there was a a bunch of people that were being sent here to calvary chapel buell from uh yucca valley and a variety of other places to see if anybody the church uh, was interested in having any of them be their pastor and so i i stood at the on the sidelines with pastor gerald waiting for the nod at the time i was Assistant pastor, uh, everything was great. Ministry's going good. I was teaching. I was covering for Gerald. I was, I was doing all the the stuff. Going mission trips, traveled all around the world. Had the blessing to do a lot of great things. Good stuff was going on. But I had this desire in my heart even then. Hey, how come I'm, I'm not getting sent to Idaho? And Pastor Gerald said, I'm. I can't let you go yet. 
He let me come one Sunday, right before Christmas. I think it was the first Sunday after Brent went home to be with the Lord. I, I flew in the day before, taught, and flew out the next day back to California. And all the while, there was this voice inside of me, in my heart, in my head. I don't care where you want to put it, that said, you're coming to Idaho. Well, at this time would work things out. Uh, the church uh, chose Steve Matheson to stay. And Steve stayed for uh, about a year and a half ministering and did great things. And God was growing things and things were being accomplished in his ministry. But you know what? He had this voice in him too. The voice that said, this is not where I'm supposed to be. So he called over to Joshua Springs and he said, Hey, uh, is there anybody there that would be interested in Idaho? And then Pastor Gerald came to me and he said, Jackie, if I had let you go all those years ago to Idaho, would you have went? And I said, yeah. He said, okay, you can go. So I knew then, before we did any of our stuff here, you know, before we, we before I came and tried out a couple times and, and waited for votes on whether or not... Uh, it was yay or nay for Jackie to come. I knew, just had to wait for everybody else to make up their mind. Because God's Spirit had told me a long time before. And when the word came, Jackie, come, we left. The day I went to tell my son that we were going to Idaho was the day he surprised us and said, we're pregnant and you're going to have a grandbaby. So when they told us, we... We didn't jump up like the other grandparents. We were, it was a little bittersweet for us. It was a little bittersweet, but the Scripture tells me that I'm supposed to love Jesus more than I love anything else. And if I don't love Jesus more than anything else, I'm not worthy of Him. And I love my little grandbaby. I'll see her every time I get a chance. Uh, I, I'm, I sometimes am sorrowful for what I miss, but I am not sorrowful for having left. And people said, what are you doing? Why would you leave? you got a grandbaby being born. That's crazy. you got a house here. You can't even sell your house. Why would you leave? It doesn't make any sense. Either God calls or He don't. If the Lord speaks, I don't want to be one who's resisting what God's trying to do. I want to be one who's responding to what God's wanting to do. And I'd love to tell you, oh, the day we left, our household. No, it didn't. That's... Thinking bucket of bolts is still in California. <laughs> I couldn't sell it if I had to. And maybe somewhere down the line, there's some future blessing out there somewhere that I can't see. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Because we're here. We, we were coming no matter what. No matter what. We were leaving. When God said go, we got up. We kissed our son and our daughter-in-law goodbye and rubbed her belly and told the grandbaby we'd... We loved her and we'd come visit as much as we could. And we haven't looked back yet. Because we have a job to do. I see Jesus is worthy of all my praise and all my adoration. And I, I will, like I said, I, I want to see, I want to love on my grandbaby and it matters. And I want to be a part of her life. But it does not matter more than the call of God. If God is calling, if His Spirit is moving, we do not want to be found as those who are resisting. On the call here, it didn't come from a church, it didn't come from a man, it came from God. God said, go, get on the road. You remember when God called Abram, how that went? 
God said, Abram, I want you to go to a land that I will show you, future. I'll, I'll show you. And so the Bible says, Abram got up and went. He didn't even know where he was going. That's what the Bible says. He got up and went not knowing where he was going. Because fulfilling the call of God was so important to him. The call, the woo of the Holy Spirit. He did not want to resist. He wanted to respond. So he responded. He responded and he went. And God did amazing things as a result. Now we have Philip. Great things are happening. Church is blowing up. Things are going on. But God says to Philip, I want you to walk down this road from Jerusalem to Gaza into the desert. Doesn't tell him there's somebody there. He has no idea why he's going. He just knows God told me to go. Look what the next scripture says in verse 27. It says, so he arose and went. No excuses, no complaining, no whining. He just went. He just went. He got up and went. You know that we as human beings are creatures of complaint. (laughs) I don't know if you knew that. I have a sign above my door that says the deadline for all complaints was yesterday. My first, my first day here at church, there was already a line of people waiting at the office who had issues. <laughs> I'll never forget. I walked out, I told Kathy, you got to be kidding me. No, hi, good morning. It's, hey, there's some problems you need to take care of. Sometimes that's the way things go. Sometimes that's what's going on. We can be creatures of complaint. We can find that something that God's asking us to do or some way that God's directing us is difficult Like we said earlier, it doesn't fit in my plans. Well, we can be like Philip, and when God calls us, we just do what we got to do. Whatever it is, you just do what you got to do. There's brothers and sisters in this church, family members are hurt, sick, or in the hospital. What do they do? They just go to the hospital. Why? That's what you do. Don't tell me it's not possible for you to do what you got to do. We've all done it before for someone else. The question is, are you willing to do it for the Lord? To just do what he's calling you to do. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He runs into an Ethiopian. Now, he doesn't know this is the guy yet. He's just coming down the road, and there's this Ethiopian in a nice big uh, ox cart going down the road. He's reading a scroll from Isaiah. We'll read in a moment. He sees this Ethiopian eunuch who is in the charge of Candace of Ethiopia. Now, Candace is not a name, it's a title. It's, uh, it's the queen of Ethiopia. The king of Ethiopia is given a title of deity. He becomes a god, and he doesn't do anything anymore. And then his wife becomes Candace, and she does everything. Kind of like things work today sometimes. Some, I, I, Kathy might want to change her name to Candace. No? <laughs> so, Candace had a, a, a eunuch who was in charge of all her treasury, and he had done a sojourn into Jerusalem. He'd gone down there. And, and so we see this all coming together. It says, He was returning and sitting in his chariot, for he was reading Isaiah. So the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Now, this is kind of an interesting verse. Literally, it means go and attach yourself to the chariot. Some people believe that what he does is run up and jump on it. 
God ever asked you to do something embarrassing before? There's Philip. The spirit moves. I want you to attach yourself to the chariot. The very next verse says, and he ran. He ran to the chariot and he attaches himself. Now, the way they write it in our English Bibles is he overtook the chariot. Like he come up next to the chariot. But the word says he attached himself. Glued is the word. He glued himself to the chariot. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to the idea that he jumped up on the side, you know, where, where he could put his hands on it. Like, hey, what's going on? And the Ethiopian eunuch, probably a, a little startled, you know, what are you doing? Well, God told me to jump on your chariot. Cool. All right. I don't know. There are times where God calls us to do things that don't necessarily make a lot of sense to us. But what did Philip do? He responded. Do you know that there are scriptures in the Bible that if you will just apply those scriptures to your life, obey those scriptures, respond to the Holy Spirit in those scriptures, that there are guarantees of things that God will do in your life? Malachi chapter 3, prime example. There are scriptures in the Bible that tell us if we do this, God will do that. If we will respond to what the Word of God says, if we'll respond to what God's Word is teaching, then we will see God move in certain ways. Here, He feels the, the, the call of the Spirit saying to Philip, Go. He's being Spirit-led, led by the Spirit to accomplish what God wants him to do. And look at the exuberance. He runs. He, what, what, what if God was telling him to go to 8 o'clock service? Oh, that's not God. That's somebody else. I don't know. What the scripture says here is he runs. He hears the opportunity, the leading of the spirit, and he's exuberant. He wants to be a part. He goes for it. He just goes for it. He goes and he attaches himself. He runs and he jumps up. And so Philip ran and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Now in those days when they would read the Bible, they would read it out loud. And as he's reading it out loud, Philip hears him reading it out loud and he asks him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what's going on? Now here's the really wild thing that will fry your noodle. Okay, God knows there's an Ethiopian eunuch going to be driving down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And right here at this point, he's going to have a question about Isaiah. Now I've got an evangelist right over here. He's in Samaria. And if I can get that evangelist to leave right now, and if he takes off down the road, he's going to meet the Ethiopian eunuch right here exactly at the moment when he has his question. And because Philip was obedient, it all flies. He showed up. He comes in. He asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the, and the guy says, well, how can I unless someone show me? Look, and he says, how can I unless someone guides me? When he asked Philip, or any asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Wow. So the, the eunuch asked Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? 
He's confused in the Old Testament. Anybody ever been confused in the Old Testament before? Read through the Old Testament, and every once in a while we can come to some confusing things there as we, as we desire to see and know all that God has for us. Well, the same way for him, he wants to see, he wants to understand, and he knows that the traditional rabbinical thought about that section of Scripture is that Isaiah 53 speaks not of a man, but of a nation. That Isaiah 53 is in reference to the nation of Israel about all the things the nation of Israel is going to suffer. Well, still today, that's the view as they look at Isaiah 53. They don't see it as being about a man. But I'll give you a key to understanding the Old Testament. To understand the Old Testament, there's a rather simple thing that you do. You plug Jesus in. And all of a sudden, Isaiah 53 makes all kinds of sense. You see, Jesus, speaking of the Old Testament, say, said that you search the Scriptures daily, for it is in these you have life. But it is these scriptures that speak of me. Old Testament. Jesus is on every page. You say, I don't know. I don't know if I've seen him on every page. I, I've seen pages full of the genealogies. Then take on the attitude of a king and search out the matter. Understand the meanings of the names. Look. Look for Jesus and you know what you'll discover. He's on every single page because every page is declaring him well the scripture says so philip begins at this scripture and preached jesus to him well let's look at that then isaiah here let's look at that first part it says he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth and we come to the life of jesus we discover that we see those exact things in his life at the trial and crucifixion of Christ. In fact, Peter writes about it. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, For to this you were called. Oh, by the way, that's you and I. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And is that on your refrigerator? For the Bible promise book? He's left you an example to follow in his footsteps of suffering. That's, Jesus said that the world hates him. The world's going to hate us. The time will come. It'll be, it won't be okay no more. Things will change. And when that time comes, my fear is when that time comes and when the, the popular opinion is shifting and there's some new move and, and they're turning away from the Bible and they're piling up for themselves teachers because they have itching ears. My fear is because we or because someone is not grounded, is not growing, is not serving and being developed, that they're going to go. Well, you know that Thessalonians said that day will not come except a, a falling away occur. The, the Bible lays out those things for us. We, we look at the scripture like this in First in Peter, and, and, and we have this calling to suffer, but look what he says. Who committed no sin. It's not suffering because there's, there was something wrong that Jesus did, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He never lied. He never gossiped. Can you imagine? Now, this may shock some people, but there is nobody in this church who has not gossiped. I... Uh, I'm included in that group. 
There is no, Jesus had no deceit in his mouth. None. We are men and women full of deceit. But he came to, to clean us, to clear us, to set us free. The scripture said, when he was reviled, Jesus, when he was reviled, hated, he did not revile in return. And I am reminded how far short I fall from his example. I shared with you before, September 11th. You guys all remember it, right? When it happened? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. We were hated that day. And I felt it. Did you? They crashed their planes into the towers and all those people died for nothing. And I hated in my heart. I hated I hated an entire nation, men, women, and children I've never known. I hated them because of what somebody did. But Jesus, Scripture said, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When they hated him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When he was beaten, he looked on them with the eyes of love. He did not, the Scripture said, when he was suffered, he did not threaten you know, when he was going through it, he didn't threaten. Oh, you do this to me and I'll, I, you treat me like that and I'll get you. I know those things have been in my heart before. But that's not in the heart of Christ. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. He put himself into God's hands. The, the example from scripture that he's, that he's laying out when it says that he led like a sheep, to the slaughter as a lamb is silent before the shear, so he opened not his mouth. The example of Christ in that is that we would follow like him, that we'd be like him. That we would love like he loved, that we wouldn't hate because he didn't hate. That we would follow that example. This is a scripture that this Ethiopian eunuch is reading, but it doesn't make any sense to him because he doesn't know who it's about. He doesn't know who it's about. So, so Philip beginning at that scripture, begins to tell him. But that scripture goes on in verse 33. It says, And in his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? Still today, we don't have all the answers for that verse. How that verse works out. What, how, how that rightly reflects Jesus Christ. His, his judgment was taken away. Does that mean, is that speaking of his rights? They took away his rights when they tried him? Certainly they did that. His judgment was taken away. Does that mean that he fulfilled all things were judged on his life and there could be no judgment afterwards? Surely that's true. What exactly, how exactly did it fit when it said, who will declare his descendants? Who will set forth? Are they saying, who will, who will point out the generation of wickedness that killed the Messiah? Or are they referring to all the believers who are going to believe as a result? And who will declare all those who become a part of his generation, the family of God, through faith in Jesus Christ? I don't know. Those are all certainly true. As we look at the scripture, though, Philip is focused on the scripture, telling him about the scripture, pointing him to the scripture, and how the Lord Jesus Christ worked in his life. The Bible tells us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. That's first. The only way that we are able to do anything is by the blood of the Lamb, because He purchased our righteousness. Because He did that, we can have a right relationship with God, and in that right relationship with God, now we can understand. The Spirit leads us into all understanding. 
So we have that right relation. Then it says, by the word of their testimony. And occasionally, when someone shares a testimony, it's, it can be 75% of all the bad stuff I've ever done, and then 25% about how Jesus saved me and I'm okay. But if you look at this scripture, what this scripture says of Philip, when he was teaching, it said, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, what did he preach? He preached Jesus to him. Hey, we all come from someplace else. We can agree on that, right? And hopefully we can agree that we're all sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that there's, all, there's in every one of our lives a reason why we cannot have a proper relationship with Almighty God. Every one of us is in that place. So when we preach Jesus, it's how Jesus worked in my life. How did Jesus set you free? That's your testimony. Not what did Jesus set you free from. How did Jesus set you free? What did he do in your life? How did he give you victory? What verses did he work through, through the word of God in your life? That's our testimony. Our testimony never stops because every day we get up and God's working in our life in another way. And that's what Philip is sharing with him. He's sharing with him, this is how Jesus worked in my life. Don't you see Jesus on the page of Scripture? Let me tell you about what happened to him. And he lays all this stuff out for this Ethiopian eunuch who thinks he's down a deserted road and nobody cares about in the middle of the desert. But God valued his soul. Is there a soul out there that he doesn't value? I don't think there is. There was a woman at the well. One day Jesus said, I have to go to Samaria. There's a woman there. She's an outcast. Nobody will talk to her. She's going to be drawing water at an odd time of the day, and I'm going to be at the well so I can introduce her to her Savior. One person. Jesus went for one person. He sent Philip down the desert road for one person. There is not a soul on the face of the earth that God does not value that he doesn't mourn over think about the biggest broken heart you ever had the the person who tore your heart out the chest threw it on the ground and stomped on it kathy was mine <laughs> but that ended up being a good story whoever broke your heart the most that is how god sees the most rebellious person on earth from him. And his desire is only that that rebellious person would repent and live. That's God's heart for the sinner. Sometimes we look at the sinner and we'd like to clean him up. Philip doesn't try cleaning anybody up. When that woman came to Jesus, did Jesus clean her up first? Did he say, you know, you're living in an adulterous relationship. You're in fornication right now. And until you move out of that house and with that man, I cannot introduce you to the Savior. Nope. He met her right where she was. He met her right there. He didn't leave her there. She didn't stay. Everything in her life radically changed. Maybe not easier, but certainly better. Because she came to face, face to face with God. There's probably lots of days she thought, nobody cares about me and uh, my life is terrible and I'm just going to go do what makes me happy. And that was her whole life. 
Until one day she's standing face to face with God who left heaven to come to earth just so he could talk with that woman at that will that day. That's how God sees every sinner. Sometimes I look at him and I see problems. I see a pain. I see an argument. I see a whatever. You fill in the blank. But that's not how God sees. God is pursuing with his whole heart a relationship with every human on this planet. And he said to you and I, go make disciples of all men. He said, I have seen, I have heard, I came down, I send you. Go. But we want to go with his heart. We want to go with his attitude. And that's what Philip did. That's why it was so easy for him to respond. That's why it's so easy. There's a room full of kids somewhere here in this church. And I don't even know who's in that room. But there might be one child. This is his only day he's going to be here. And it's his only chance to hear the gospel. His only chance to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And unless someone's there to tell him... We're going to miss the boat. That God said, go down this road. It leads to the desert called children's ministry. And you get down there and all all you find out is there was this one kid, this one person, this one life. Do you know how much that life matters to God? Do you know what he left just to be able to influence that one life? Do you know how early he got up? Do you know how late he went to bed? Do you know his heart? Because that's the heart we want to have, isn't it? That's the heart I want to have. I mean, sometimes we just see problems, right? Let's be honest. I see problems too. I don't see with the heart of God. But I, but I want to see with the heart of God. I want to see with the eyes of love. I want to see with a desire that says, man, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this person's life, a part of turning things around, a part of directing them to the Lord. I'm reminded of a little girl who is not able to come to church anymore. She's a little girl who was, uh, what's a nice way to say it? Wild child. That's okay, right? My wife looks at me if I say something bad. So she was a wild child, beautiful little girl, full of life. And one day she come into my office and she said, uh, Wednesday night, she said, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I said, you do? Yeah, I do. I said, well, you know who Jesus is? Oh, yeah, I know who Jesus is. And we talked for a little while. She sat down next to my desk and we sat there and prayed that she would receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior right then. She asked to be baptized and she got baptized. Next time we had a, a baptismal service, we had her in the baptismal. And then the door shut and her mom said she can't come to church anymore. Now, what happens if nobody was there in the office? What happens if a Sunday school teacher or the, or the parents who brought that little girl to church thought, she's a hassle. We put her in our car and she tears holes in my seat or does something that costs me. But the attitude, the attitudes were all right. And in those right attitudes, a little girl's added to the kingdom of God. I don't know what the rest of her life's going to look like, but I do know that the God who left heaven for the woman at the well will do the same thing for her every time she needs him.
And he'll do so for you every time you need him. He would move heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. But that relationship's got to be based on your faith before it can be based in his power. That's how it works. Well, the Ethiopian eunuch preaches Jesus to him. Look what happens. It says, so as they came down the road, they came near some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? It was the eunuch's idea. What in Isaiah 53 gives him the idea he needs to be baptized? Well, that's how we know that the Ethiopian eunuch was a proselyte. He was a proselyte of the gate. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. First Gentile converted in the pages of Scripture that we know of. But he had come to the point in his walk with Judaism that he went as far as he could go. And that last step, that step was going through a ritual mikvahot. They would go through a ritual bath, or what you and I call baptism. They walk in one side, go down under the water, pop up, walk up the other side. Mikvahots are everywhere in Jerusalem. They had no problem finding a mikvahot, a baptismal. And so he had been baptized, and and when they were baptized, they threw away their clothes, and all the stuff from the old life was over, and the new life had begun. And this Ethiopian eunuch, because now he knows who Jesus Christ is, and he's put his faith and trust in him, everything in his life has changed, he wants to be baptized. Because that's what baptism does. It says the old life is done, and the new life has begun. Everywhere in the pages of Scripture, when people get saved, they put their life in the hands of Jesus Christ. They get baptized. Not because one saves. Baptism doesn't save. It's a step of obedience. It's a step of obedience that says, yes, I'm leaving the old life, and I'm stepping into the new. I'm leaving the old life. And that's what the Ethiopian eunuch says. Hey, what hinders me from being baptized? So look what the Scripture says in verse 37. And Philip said... If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. A profession of faith. You know, there's a real enemy out there. And a real enemy who's out there would like to do anything he can to disrupt our faith and trust in the Word. And how he does that is by footnotes. Do you have footnotes in your Bible? Take time and look at the footnote for verse 37. Verse 37 has a footnote that reads, This verse is not present in the best texts. Really? That's interesting. See, the enemies of what God wants to do, they know what your footnotes say more than you know. So when you point out different scriptures to them and say, But look at your footnote. Listen, the footnotes are not inspired. The words above the footnotes are. The footnotes are not inspired. That's just man trying to help people understand. And I'm going to explain to you exactly why this verse ought to be there. The best manuscript is a manuscript that comes from 400 A.D. The best manuscripts come from 400 A.D. So at 400 A.D., what they have is a manuscript in which this verse is written in the border. And so they naturally assume because it's written in the border, it's an addition. Do you know sometimes those things aren't additions? Have you ever made a mistake and you wrote out a sentence and left a word out and then had to go back and write a word above it? How about we just throw that out and say, nope, that's an addition. It's got to go how it was. Now, 
Traditionally, the Jewish people in, in doing their manuscripts in the Old Testament would throw away a faulty manuscript. But the New Testament's a little bit different. We're no longer following the strict Jewish rules of the scribes that they had in the Old Testament. Those guys are still doing their same old Old Testament. The New Testament is letters that's being passed down and passed around. We have a lot of manuscripts and a lot of manuscript evidence. So how do I know this is supposed to be there? Because 150 years before the best manuscript was written, there was an early church father named Irenaeus. And Irenaeus was preaching on this text in Acts chapter 8, and he preaches from this verse, written by his hand 150 years prior to the best manuscript. He's not the only one. There's about 10 other early church fathers who all quote this verse, which is about 100 years predates the best manuscript. So when we see those notes, please, if you get nothing else, understand, if you see that note in your Bible that says, this not present in the best manuscripts, or, or manuscript evidence, or some issue with that, all that means is do your research. Don't assume that the footnote means it's absolutely true. Because preachers were preaching from this scripture, from a text we don't have anymore because it's so old, and it was in there. It was there. Why? Why would they take it out? Why would Satan want that verse gone? It's a profession of faith. It deals with the deity of Christ. It deals with how one is saved. How is one saved? He believes with all his heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the, the confession that he makes? I believe Jesus is the Son of God. That speaks to the fact that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The Son of God statement, that phrase. What that phrase means is that he has all the character and all the power and all the part of God in human form. Fully God, fully man, one of the oldest creeds on the face of the earth, spoken by the first century church, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, the Son of God. Jesus himself made that declaration of himself, and every time he did, what happened? The people around him tried to kill him for blasphemy, for saying that he was equal with God. That's what the phrase means. 2,000 years later, we don't get to define it as something else. It means what it means when it was writ. Not what you want to make it mean today because you don't agree. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the confession. So he makes the confession. And what happens? It says in the next verse, He commanded the chariot to stand still. And Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Then he baptized them. They walked down into the water. They went under the water. They didn't get sprinkled. There was sprinkles. Back then, there was only dunks. The word baptize means to immerse. Now, listen, if you were sprinkled and you're happy with that, knock yourself out. If you have never been baptized, you have to ask yourself, why would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then not walk in obedience? He said, be baptized. What's it cost you to get wet? That's a pretty small sacrifice, isn't it? To be baptized, small sacrifice. And we, everyone, every believer, the moment someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ... They need to go in the water. It's a great step of obedience. I had someone one time after service say, you know, I've never been baptized and we'd like to be baptized. And we, you see the tank, it's over there on the side. It's got a camel in it. 
Some of you guys were wondering, what is that stupid piece of metal over on the side of the church? That's just in case somebody says, I need to be baptized. We whoop it out here. There's a hose right under the stage. We pull the hose out, put it in a tank, turn it on. And a few minutes, you're wet. So we can make baptism happen. Not because baptism saves. It doesn't save. It's a step of obedience. And every time someone got saved, we see people taking this step of obedience and being baptized. Well, the scripture goes on to say, they went down, they were baptized, they came out. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. Now, these verses amaze me. When you study scripture, and you look at some of this stuff, the ideas that people come up with, they look at it and they say, well... What this means is that after they got out, Philip turned around and left. And then he walked into the distance. As he walked away, the eunuch never saw him again. You know, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. Do you read what the Bible said? The word caught away means to be taken away. Violently pulled out of a situation. Plucked away. He was gone. That's what happened. You don't like it? Your problem's not with me, it's with the word. He was gone. God took him. God took Elijah. God took Enoch. This is not something new. One day, God's going to take the whole church. God is in the business of taking people and putting them where they need to be. So what happens? God takes him. The word is harpazo. Exact same word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Harpazo. Exact same word from Revelation chapter 12. Harpazo. When the red dragon was trying to eat the baby, he was harpazoed, snatched out of the way, taken into heaven. I think that's a picture of the rapture. You think I'm wrong? You tell me why. We'll talk about it. We come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Same thing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Snatched away the church. Philip, right here, baptized in there. Didn't they come out the water? They're like, oh, right on. That's so cool. Can you believe? I just found, bloop, he's gone. And the eunuch is like, whoa. Does the Bible say he was really bummed that Philip was gone? Oh, man. Philip's gone. I just met him. No, man, it says he went away rejoicing. Rejoicing, because that's how it works. You have confession, followed by obedience, followed by joy. That's what we've been talking about. Our faith, our lives, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We step out in obedience. A part of that obedience is serving. Being a part of what God's doing. And what follows with that is joy, growth, things happen. God does things. Next thing you know, you blink and all of a sudden, you're a preacher in some place that you could never imagine. Poof, you're there. And God's doing exciting things. The scripture says that Philip found himself. Look at this. I love that. What was it like for Philip? Philip found himself at Azotus. The way that's, it doesn't mean, you know, he wandered down the road and there he was in Azotus. It means what it said. He found himself. Bloop. Where am I? I'm in Azotus. Azotus, which is Ashdod, an ancient Philistine city, where he's going to be doing more ministry. What's the Bible say he did? He was preaching. What's the word for preaching? Evangelize. That's why we call him Philip the Evangelist. Everywhere he went, evangelizing. Everywhere he went, bringing people to know the Lord. Everywhere he went, Watching the power of God move. This is an example of someone responding to the Holy Spirit. 
When the Holy Spirit moves in your life, when you get that little nagging thing that won't go away, that, that voice in the back of your head saying, I need to do this, or I should be doing that, or I should start this ministry, or I should start that ministry, or I need to, to step out in faith in this regard, or I need to... That, we have to learn to exercise our spiritual muscles. Listen. Be obedient. God is able to do abundantly above all you can ask or imagine. Be obedient in what God is asking you to do. And you will see God move in amazing ways. Amen? Amen? Yes. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to just come before you. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. God, my heart's desire is to be a responder to the Holy Spirit. And when you provoke, when you move, we respond. If you put on our heart, I, I, I would like you to do this, or I would like you to do that, that we would be men and women who rise up immediately and step out to go do, go be who God wants you to be. Don't let the enemy win. Don't let the enemy win by telling you you can't. Don't make the enemy or let the enemy win by giving in to his discouragement. Rather, hear the encouragement of the Lord. He meets us in all these things in every way. You can never give more to God than he gives to you. No matter what you gave... It would not be more than what he has given. Scripture lays out that as he has not withheld his only begotten son, how much more will he freely give us all things in Christ Jesus? Man, we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray, I just ask God that I would walk in that place, Lord, in that response. When you... Guide when you direct, when you encourage, go speak, go share, go talk to this person, go walk up and ask this this person to if you can pray for him in Walmart or at Chick Fil A or wherever you might find yourself and wherever you may be wandering, that we would be obedient, God. That we would experience the strengthening of our spiritual muscles that enable us to do what you're asking us to do there is a great romance god and you desire every soul who is willing to be saved and you're sending us you've asked us to go and i pray prayerfully lord jesus that we would respond that we would go that we would be and do what you're asking us to do and father that we would give you all the praise and the glory for it as we give you thanks in jesus name amen we're going to close out in a word of worship so i invite you to prayer counselors come on up and uh, and be able to pray with you guys god bless you and go in peace